0: Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. I appreciate the song this morning. I like it when uh, God puts a song in someone's heart, and I appreciate His willingness to to sing that this morning. And I'm thankful that He is our, our place of security, and He is where we can find strength, and He is in the midst of all the chaos around us. The Lord is a place we can find shelter in, and we can find... Stability in Him, and I'm thankful for that, Um, for His faithfulness, His steadfastness, and um, the reality of Him and His truth whenever life hits us and hits us hard, uh, that He's there for us, and I'm thankful for that this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter number 5 this morning, James Chapter number five, reading verses thirteen through eighteen, and uh, mentioned last week and uh, Wednesday night that uh, this will conclude the study we've been doing on prayer, uh, the t- a topical study where we mean we've dealt with uh, as compared to when we went through the book of Galatians, a topical study. We took a subject, we have looked at different passages uh, throughout Scripture on that one subject, and uh, the, my vision, if you will, uh, my. My plan, whenever we began, that was to preach on prayer leading up to revival, have our week of uh, prayer, and then that lead us into revival. And that's where we're at this morning. And um, so we will conclude that study this morning here in James chapter number 5. And uh, ending it on a thought that I'm sure you knew before we ever studied any of our texts, but I think it's a powerful, a fitting place to end considering the fact that prayer is powerful. So if you would this morning, I'll ask you, as you have found your place, to stand as we read the word of the Lord, James chapter number 5, verses 13 through 18, uh, where the Bible says this, rather begins with a question, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. Is any sick among you? Well, let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this service we've been able to be a part of. God, thank you that we can come together as believers this morning. Lord, thank you for this building you've given us to congregate in. Lord, we understand that doesn't define the church, but we're just thankful for it as a resource. Thankful for the place we have to come. Lord, thankful, uh, God, for what you do for us here in this place as we gather in your name and as we seek to exalt you and honor you and to worship you. uh, Lord, I'm thankful for how you move in our midst and how you do speak to hearts and how you do sanctify us according to the truth. And Lord, I pray that you do that even here this morning. Lord, help this time not to just be uh, something we check off of our to-do list for the week, but Lord, I pray that you would change lives through this time. God, if there's a soul here this morning that's lost and undone without Christ, I pray that above all else, that, Lord, they would be saved during this time, that they would see their sin and see their, uh, their separation from You, God, and see the judgment and wrath that is lies ahead for them, Lord, if they are not found in Christ. But, Lord, in all that, I pray that they'd see the mercy that You have offered, the grace You have given in Christ, and that they would look to Him to be their Redeemer, to be their Savior, to be the one who would wash them clean. Of all unrighteousness. God, we thank you for uh, your presence this morning, the, the fact that you are very involved in our lives, God, for the assurance that you give us that your word will not return void, that it will do what you intend for it to. And help me, God, to preach your word in truth and not say anything that you haven't said. But Lord, to handle your word with accuracy and with integrity this morning. Let it go forth in power and do what you would intend for it to do this morning. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for standing. So we started our journey with prayer back on February the 5th, earlier this year, the Sunday after, that was when Pastor James gave us uh, his uh, report, if you will, on the tri- his trip to Israel. So we have studied 13 different texts over 14 weeks, and certainly it is... Not an exhaustive list. In other words, we didn't cover every single this time prayer was mentioned. We didn't dis- discuss every prayer that's prayed in the scriptures, but we just, uh, and we missed many passages of scripture on prayer. For example, one that probably many think of, Philippians chapter number four and verses six and seven say, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And we would be far from wise if we are to think that now that we know there ever, we know everything there is to know about prayer. But I do hope that our studies, our, the texts that we've looking at, the passages of Scripture that we have studied, have done a couple of things. I pray that they have deepened our confidence in prayer. That they've made us grateful for the opportunity to pray and ignited in us a passion to engage more with prayer. Two weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter number twelve, verses one through nineteen, where Peter's put in prison, just waiting for Easter to pass, so that the king was going to bring him forth and have him executed. The only reason he was still alive is because of the time of the year it was. They in their religiousness if you will, didn't want to kill him over Easter. That would have been a problem. We'll wait. We'll kill him afterwards. And so Peter's waiting in prison. And what did the church do in Acts 12 and 5? Or Acts chapter, Acts chapter number 12, and verse number 5, what did they do? They prayed for Peter. And then the angel shows up, begins to break Peter out of the prison. If you remember a quote I mentioned when we studied that passage of Scripture is that Someone had said the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. The reason I mention all that, bring all that back to your mind, is to to bring this point back to the forefront of your mind that prayer is powerful. Prayer makes a difference. That you never have to bow your head and pray and wonder if it's worth your time. Well, our text this morning in James, here in chapter number 5, reminds us of the same reality. In Acts chapter number 12, we learn about that through through the narrative. In other words, not really necessarily, if you will, a doctrinal letter. It's it's a different kind of literature in Acts. It's uh, historical than necessarily an epistle is. But what James is going to teach us is the same thing that we learn through the historical narrative in the book of Acts. But James is going to teach us and explain to us and, and emphasize the same point to us, which is prayer is powerful. I pray this morning that God will continue to strengthen that conviction and strengthen more than a conviction, but rather belief in our heart that prayer is powerful. To say that prayer is powerful is not just something that we say because it sounds good, it's got some alliteration in it, and it just rolls off the tongue well. That's, but prayer is truly, truly powerful is what I want us to understand this morning. That's, it's, it's factual. It's not just something that sounds good, something that rolls off the tongue there's plenty of places in Scripture where you'll learn that truth and see can be confronted with that fact that prayer is powerful, but that's certainly what we will see here this morning, that prayer is powerful and prayer makes a difference. So the first thing I think that James does in, these, in his writings here at this point in his letter to help us understand that and to build that belief and confidence in us is the application that he gives us of prayer. So he starts at these verses with, a couple of questions. It says, is any among you afflicted? That word afflicted means to suffer hardships or to endure affliction. It says, one definition I read said, to experience painful hardships that seem like a setback. Probably many of you then in the affirmative would answer that question, yes. Maybe your affliction is different than the affliction that this person over here is experiencing. Maybe some might look at your situation and say, well, that doesn't seem to be as intense as what this person is going through, but nonetheless, you would answer that and say in your life, within your heart, you feel afflicted, that you are enduring a hardship, that you are going through a difficult time. What does the passage of Scripture say to you and I this morning? Let him pray. If that is you, if you are experiencing that time of hardship, if you are experiencing a time that seems like a setback, then here's what James tells you now. How do we apply prayer? Well, in those times of affliction, in those times of hardship, he tells you and I to pray. What I'm trying to say this morning is, is if, if prayer didn't make a difference, when you were going through a time of affliction, James wouldn't tell you to pray. James is not going to tell you to do something that's not going to make a difference and that's not going to be meaningful and impactful. If James is saying if you're afflicted, if you're going through hardships, if you're going through challenge to pray, that asserts to you and I this morning that prayer it does make a difference in those times of hardships and in those times of adversity. He says if you're afflicted, Pray. The second question he provides is kind of on the other side of that spectrum. Is are, is any of you merry? Is any of you cheerful? Are any of you in good spirits today? Maybe you come in today into this service. I think in either of those two questions you'll find yourself. If you want to make application from these two verses, it's real easy. Because you'll either probably say you're afflicted today or you come in here and you're merry. The things are well in your life. Yes, you know that people around you are hurting you, and we, we carry a sense of that burden with them and, and what we can, but ultimately you would say that things are going in your life well this morning. You come in, there's joy in your heart. There's not brokenness, there's not pain, but there's joy. So if that's you, then what does the Bible say to you? Let him sing song. Singing psalms carries the idea of singing forth and showing forth praises unto God. So in other words, you might response, if we want to be technical, somebody might say, well, I can't sing. Or, you don't want to hear me sing. That's not necessarily the point. The point is, offer praise unto God. You might not be able to do it by carrying a tune, but all for praise unto God is the point. Sing psalms and praises unto Him. Uh, understand and recognize this morning, in other words, if you have merriment and joy and cheerfulness in your heart, then the source of that is God, and therefore we sing praises unto Him. The source of merriment in our heart is not, and, and we cannot ever give a, attribute it to the stock market's good, gas prices have come down, my interest rate is good, I refinance and everything is good. Ultimately, if we have merriment and cheer in our heart, we lift our hearts and praise unto God because He is the source of that cheerfulness that we experience. So if you're married this morning, then sing psalms. Praise God for the merriment that you experience. And in these two questions, you see the spectrum of life. Because you come in here today to this service, and you're in one of the two boats. You're hurting, you're in affliction, you're in a hardship, or maybe you've just come through that, and there's more of a spirit of merriment in your life. This verse reminds us that both of those experiences are going to be true to our life. We kind of see in this, this simple verse the reality of life that there's ups and there's downs. If you're in one of the downs, if you will, this morning, then pray. If you're married, then sing songs, which I think we talk about prayer being communion with God, is talking with God, so if we're singing a psalm to Him, that's still basically it's a type of prayer. We're communion with Him, we're talking with Him, we're lifting our hearts and praise unto Him. This verse reminds us, in other words, there's, a, there's seasons to life. It's true for everybody. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs in your life. There's going to be highs and there's going to be lows. But then James acts, asks another question in verse number 14. Of, Is any of you sick? So he gives an answer. Again, the application of prayer. James wouldn't be telling us to do these things if prayer didn't make a difference, if prayer didn't help, if prayer wasn't powerful. So he says, if any, you, any of you are sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, in the name of the Lord. Now, whether you realize or not, verse 14, there's a lot of different paths that people take with verse number 14. Maybe you've seen what is mentioned in verse number 14. Maybe you've seen... Someone comes to the front during a service. Maybe you've had a special service where uh, the pastor will take some kind of oil, dip a little on his finger, and place his hand upon someone who's sick, someone that's maybe got a bad diagnosis, and they'll pray over them. The, some of the elders, some of the deacons, some of the, the leadership of the church will come together and pray over someone. I've witnessed that before, and uh, maybe you have here at Sulphur Springs have, have had those instances. Of course, this would be where that came from. But does this verse mean that if someone's sick, they come to the front, I pour some oil in my hand, and I place it on them, and then I pray for them that they're going to leave, and if they had cancer or they had some other kind of sickness, they are going to have all that removed, and there's some kind of healing power in the oil that would be placed on them. Of course, we know, taking in all of Scripture, that that's not the proper application. And the commentaries I read, there's about three different Ways of interpreting this verse of scripture, and each of the comment of all the commentaries I read, I saw all each of these mentioned. Meaning, many respectable people interpreted this. The word "sick" can talk about and is used in other places in scripture in two different ways. It can mean literally physically sick, but it can also mean spiritually sick, spiritually weak. Maybe it's someone who has fallen into sin and they have they have been uh, that it's been publicly found out. Maybe that's the way that it's referenced. And then how you interpret the word sick is going to depend on what you gather from the rest of the verse and the verse that follows. The anointing, oil in biblical day was used for medicinal purposes. It could be used for refreshment. Some people... Reading would rub it on their face, it would kind of bring refreshment to their skin. Some people, when they would walk into your house might rub some on your on their feet as, as if someone came into my house as a guest, I might do that to them as just a sign of respect, a sign of courtesy. They had been walking this kind of it could also be used as symbolic and maybe probably more so specifically in this reference, symbolically of the uh, the healing power of the Holy Spirit and that it was used literally for medicinal purposes so it's used in this context as a symbol in other words there's no power in the oil to heal anyone there's just a symbol of the power that's in God to heal the three different ways in other words that you can interpret if you will verse number 14 is someone is physically sick they call for the elders. Many of their churches were not led by a single pastor. It was a group of leadership, elders. Call for those elders. They pray over you. And then there's physical healing that comes from that prayer. Other means of interpreting that is the person spiritually weak. They're sick spiritually. They're not mature. They're not healthy. So they call and pray for, or have the elders pray for them, and there's a sense of restoration, spiritual restoration. Or maybe more specifically, it's a specific public sin that has been found out, and it's again that idea of restoration. And so this prayer of the sick that is offered is then, when it's answered, is the answer to their restoration. What I want you to notice, and I, I'm not telling you how to interpret that, I'm trying to explain to you the ways to interpret that, But here's what we can take from that. Again, I mentioned, there's the commentaries I read, each of these were mentioned multiple times. But what I want you to notice is whether there's affliction, what does he say to do? Apply prayer. If you are enduring hardships, if you're suffering, he says to pray. If you're here today and you're experiencing merriment and joy and peace in your heart that's overflowing, then praise God. Offer a prayer of praise. Sing psalms to Him. If you're sick, what does He say to do? To pray. Again, to emphasize the point to us this morning that prayer is powerful. Whether there's affliction, whether there is merriment, or whether there is sickness, pray. If James is telling us to apply prayer in these situations, these difficult situations, at least with affliction and sickness, then it must make a difference. In all these situations, James says to pray, which tells us something about its power. So he goes on in verse number 15, more directly states the strength of power, the strength of prayer, if you will. So he says, the prayer of faith, I think all of our prayers must be, shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Either, either way that you take the word sick, the rest of the passage makes sense. It's either talking about a physical healing or there's spiritual restoration that you could validate in the, in the Scripture. Does this, we know that all prayer is subject to the will of the Father, that all things are under His governance. So again, does this mean that anybody that comes to the front, that I and me and Pastor James might put oil on our hands and then pray over them? Does that mean they'll walk out of here perfect and perfectly healed? No. All prayer is subject to the will of the Father. So even if we take sick to mean physical sickness, then verse number 15 we have to take in context with the Scripture. But it speaks of of healing. So in verse number 15 again we see the power of prayer if that person has committed sins where if if you take it to mean spiritual sickness then that makes that that flows really well if that person has committed sins if that person is speaking of spiritual weakness due to a sin in their life that they have struggled with or have fallen to then that sin will be forgiven them that restoration again through God answering Prayer. All healing, all restoration comes from him. The power is not in the elders. The power is not in the oil. The power of the answer to the prayer, of course, comes from the Lord. So then he says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. i thought a lot about that phrase, confess your faults one to another. because I think more times than not, and there certainly should be an element of shame to our sin, but we live in a far place from confessing our faults one to another. Many commentators would say that this is kind of brought back into uh, the limitation on this, if you will, is, is regarding public sins that affect someone directly. That, those are the people that you confess to. In other words, church is not a place where we hang out all our dirty laundry and talk about those things. But I do think in that verse we see an openness. We see a a comfortability with one another. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. That you may be healed. Whether you take it to mean physical sickness or whether you take it to mean spiritual sickness, verse number 16 still tells us to pray one for another. She may be healed. Prayer is powerful. God answers the prayers of his people. And if you want to remember one statement, because it's not the entire verse, if you want to remember one statement to help solidify in your mind a verse, a part of a verse that you can memorize to help just solidify in your mind the power of prayer, the end of verse number 16. It would be great to memorize the effectual, and your version may read different, but the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. For anyone who wonders, ever, if you ever wonder and struggle with, is prayer worth it? Or maybe you have a hard time praying and wondering if your prayers reach above the ceiling, as people say. Well, recall this, the end of this verse. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The prayer of a righteous man, a man who is walking with God, a man who is in fellowship with God, a man who is in communion with God, who is walking with Him, has great power. The prayer of a righteous man has the ability to do a lot. John MacArthur said, the energetic, passionate prayers of godly people have the power to accomplish much. There's one statement that could be memorized to assert to us the power of prayer. It would be that one in my mind. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. They make a difference. Then James concludes in asserting the power of prayer with the historical precedent, what I would, what I call, as you could say, the example the, that he offers, the illustration he gives. But he takes us now back to the Old Testament. He's going to give us an example of power in prayer. He says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. This example that James has given goes back to 1 Kings 17 and 18, a passage of Scripture that when you may not know off the top of your head as far as what's in 1 Kings 17 and 18, but uh, a quick overview of it, I'm, it'll ring a bell. In 1 Kings 17, God sends a famine on His people due to their unfaithfulness. God says that he would not send rain and it appears that this was in part in response or in accordance with Elijah's prayers according to verse number 17 because of the awful idolatry of King Ahab. That's when Elijah goes to the brook Cherith. God takes care of him and feeds him with the ravens and then the brook dries up. So then he goes to the widow woman's house and she was planning to make one last cake for her and her family and Elijah tells her, well, make me one first. And uh, of course she does and then her her meal never runs short. God provided for them, God took care of them, and then eventually in 1 Kings 18 is when Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal, has them set up their altar and pray to Baal that uh, that their God would consume the altar, and of course it does not happen, and then Elijah prays down fire from heaven, and God does exactly that and consumes the altar, testifying to everybody there that he is the true God. Well, then as 1 Kings 18 comes to an end. So tells of a cloud that comes over the sky that, similar in size to that of a man's hands. And then, long story short, rain came. But the Bible here in James tells us that was in accordance with and the prayers of Elijah. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain. So for three and a half years it didn't rain. And then, three and a half years later, Elijah prayed that it would rain, and rain began to fall. The point again is what? Prayer makes a difference. Prayer changes things. The prayer is powerful. One thing well to remember about Elijah, powerful, a powerful statement that may be easy to read over, but I think will encourage your heart it should encourage my heart that Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. What does that mean? It means Elijah was just like me. Elijah was just like you. You say, people might, would maybe respond to this and, and for anybody who would respond to this by saying, yeah, but that was Elijah. He was a prophet. He lived in the Old Testament days. Elijah... It's different than me. Elijah had different experiences than me. For anybody that might respond to this negatively and say, yeah, but that was him, and, but I'm me. James says he was a man of like passions like we. James, I mean, Elijah had days where he struggled. Some of those, one of those recorded in Scripture got discouraged, felt like he was the only person serving God. Elijah had days where he was discouraged. Elijah had days where he was down and out. Elijah had days where he was up on the mountaintop and called fire down from heaven. Elijah was just like us and yet he still was able to pray and it make a difference so we can enjoy the same power and prayer that he did we can't in other words we can't use the excuse to say but that was Elijah he was a prophet that was the Old Testament we can't use that as a cop out and as a cop-out for weakness in our prayer life. Because he was a man subject to like passions as we are. He had the same struggles. He had things distracting him. He had things, other things drawing his attention. But yet he still prayed. and prayed earnestly. And God answered those prayers. God responded to those prayers. It's hard to do anything. Anything at all. Spiritual, not spiritual, it doesn't matter. Anything if you don't see the point of doing it i get discouraged doing anything in about 15 seconds if I start to think, what, why am I doing this? You're probably the same way. Like, what's the point? Maybe there's areas of your job that you, you're doing it and you're thinking, why am I doing this? Well, prayer's not going to be any different. If we don't see the point, if we don't see the purpose, then why in the world would we keep doing it? Well, what James's words in this, these verses remind us is that prayer is not a waste of time. It reminds us that there is a purpose. Because a lot of times, in the, maybe prayer becomes mundane for us. We maybe do it out of habit. But maybe we lose sight of the fact that it does make a difference. That the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James teaches us to apply prayer in affliction, cheerfulness, and sickness. states plainly the strength of prayer, that through the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. That whether it's a physical sickness, whether it's a spiritual sickness, those prayers God may respond to and bring healing to that sick person. And finally takes our mind back to Elijah who prayed. So as we stand together this morning, and our musicians come around. And Ms. Kerr, as you find your place, you can begin to, to play. The thing I want, want to leave you with as we conclude our, our study on prayer, our focus on prayer is this. Is your prayers are doing more than you realize. Based on what James is saying, what we've studied throughout the other passages of Scripture we've looked at, is that your prayers are doing more than you realize. But then there's the other side of that, which is if you're not praying, it may be costing more than you realize. Prayer is our means of communication with the Father. Prayer is our means of carrying out our fellowship with Him. And that's why it's so important for our lives. You can imagine what your marriage would be if you didn't ever talk to your spouse. You can imagine the health, the strength of that relationship, the lack of intimacy. You can imagine what a lack of communication would do. Maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you've been there. Well, our relationship with the Father is no different in the sense that if we don't communicate with him, if we don't talk with him, then that fellowship is not what it could be, not what it should be. This morning, as Mark will come around and lead us, is any of you afflicted? Are any of you here today and you're enduring affliction, you're enduring hardship? Tells you very plainly what to do. Let him pray. Are you here today and you're merry and there's your heart just overflowing with joy? Again, he tells you very plainly, sing Psalms. Praise the Lord. He tells us in verse 16 to confess your faults one to another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. someone's on your heart this morning to pray for, if not yourself, maybe someone else, of course, these altars are open. As Mark comes around and leads us in a song of invitation. You want to take this opportunity to pray, and we want to give you that opportunity this morning. as Mark comes around and leads us. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.